0: Genesis chapter 39. Uh, you'll recall we left off last week looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And we noted that Tamar, we noted that she was a Canaanite. You know, and she's in that genealogy. We also uh, noted that Rahab was also a Canaanite. She too was in the genealogy. And Ruth, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from the, the uh, nation of Moab. And she was in that genealogy. And then also Bathsheba, who was a Hittite, was in the, the genealogy. All these ladies in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we noted also Judah. Boy, last week the chapter's all about Judah's failures. I mean, Judah was a flawed man. And, and he was a flawed man from which the messiah was to descend from they came from the tribe of judah and they came through perez this illegitimate child through the union of judah and tamar the genealogy of jesus christ is filled with less than perfect people less than perfect men and women both and this is important to note both jews and gentiles are found in that genealogy And the reason why that's important for us to note is because it tells us that, you know, the Messiah is not only for the Jews, right? Jesus, the Messiah, he descended from Jews and Gentiles. He's the savior of the whole world. In Luke chapter 2, we read when Jesus was born, you know, the angels appeared to the shepherds there in the field. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus in the temple, right after the days of her purification, Simeon was there. And you remember, Simeon, he takes Jesus up in his hands and he blessed Jesus, right? He, he blessed the Lord, said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus is the savior of all people, bringing light and revelation to the Jews and Gentiles alike And as we remember last week's study, you have to see, you have to see in that chapter that it was just filled with sin, failure. I mean, sin and failure was abounding in that chapter. And we can't miss the grace that includes Tamar and Judah in the genealogy of the Messiah. And it's exactly what we read in the New Testament. Where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. Or literally, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. God's grace is greater than all our sins. The encouragement from last week's study is that when all the with all the sin and wickedness in that chapter that we noted last week, right, that went on with Judah and Tamar. The encouragement is if God is able to use them with all that sin and ugliness going on, you know what? He can use each one of us too. We're not outside of his reach to use any one of us for his glory. And it's his heart to use us too. That's that's his heart's desire. And finally, our study last week, Genesis 38, as, as, as well as many other chapters like it, right? It's proof that the Bible is given to us under the inspiration of God. It's not written by just men. God was behind the men writing under the inspiration of God. Well, how is Genesis 38 and other chapters like it proof that the Bible is inspired by God? Because if it was written just by men, they would have glossed over the types of accounts that we read about in Genesis 38, right? If it was just men, they would have never included a chapter like Genesis 38 in the lineage of the Messiah, right? They would never write anything negative about the patriarchs or the the nation of Israel if it was just written by men. Again, if it was written by men, they would not have shown the sin and wickedness of the heroes of the faith, right? So it proves that um, it is God who is writing and giving us these accounts. So that's the reason why these difficult, dark chapters are included in the Bible. And as I said last week, Genesis 38 is in contrast to Genesis 39. We saw sin and wickedness uh, of Judah's life last week And now we're going to contrast it with the integrity of Joseph's life this week. And what a contrast it is. So Genesis 39 verse 1, we read, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So Joseph is now very, very far away from home. He's now very, very far away from the dreams he had, right? He goes from being the favorite son of his father, right, to becoming a slave in a foreign land. And that's the bad news. But the good news we read in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. We're going to read this phrase about Joseph over and over again as we go through this book. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Joseph, now he's in the midst of this tremendous trial, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, bought by this man named Potiphar, who's an officer of Pharaoh's army, maybe, or he's an officer you know, overseer of Pharaoh's prisons, maybe. Either way, he's a very powerful man in Pharaoh's cabinet. I mean, this is, this is just a dark season in Joseph's life. And yet you read that the Lord was with Joseph. How encouraging is it to read that whatever trial or tribulation you're going through, that the Lord is with us, just like He's with Joseph. Maybe even tonight uh, you're in a dark season. Maybe tonight you're going through a difficult time. You know what? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Just like it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you, right? That's never going to happen. And it's a priceless thing. It's a priceless thing to know that the Lord is with us right? As long as you know that God has not left you or forsaken you, then you know that his promises will come about in your life. They'll be fulfilled in your life. And uh, as long as you know that the Lord is with you, you know that you're going to be okay. Verse three says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. I mean, to me, that's just That's just something amazing to read, I I love it. Joseph's master, Potiphar, right? Was able to see, he was able to see that the Lord was with Joseph, right? Isn't it such a wonderful thing when our witness is able to be seen by people around us? When it's seen and we don't even have to say anything. I mean, that's just amazing, it's wonderful. You know, I've been so blessed in the past when I've I've had people come to me, people that, you know, I've never shared with people that I've never, you know, hardly spoken to. And they've come to me and they've asked me, you know, a question, but they preface that question by saying, you know, I know you're a Christian and I know you read the Bible. You know, I was wondering about, and then they lay out their question. I mean, it's such a blessing to me when people see in our lives that that we're believers in Christ, you know, that we're walking with the Lord and that he's walking with us. It's a tremendous uh, witness, you know, to see his hand upon our life just by watching us. It's so encouraging to me. It's also a wonderful witness when people are able to see the Lord is with us. Potiphar, he saw the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Verse four, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under, and all that he had put under his authority. Here we've seen, we, we have Joseph being faithful in the small things. He served Potiphar. Whatever Potiphar gave him to do, he served him faithfully. We're going to see in this chapter a number of different times, uh, a number of different things, right? But here we see the Lord is teaching Joseph to be a servant. The Lord is teaching Joseph to be faithful, even in the smallest things. And as Joseph was faithful in the small things, then he was promoted to oversee greater things, Ultimately, he's he's promoted to that place where he's overseeing everything, right? Second to Pharaoh. But it all started out with being faithful in the small things that were entrusted to him. And this is a tremendous truth that's reflected in the word in regards to lots of different issues, right? Especially our service to the Lord. God's desire for us is to be faithful in the small things, right? One of my favorite verses, I know this to be true uh, in my own life. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 75 verses six and seven. And it says, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. Promotion or exaltation comes from the Lord. And Jesus gave us this illustration in the parable, the talents. Matthew 25, 21, he said, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Again, the illustration is if we are faithful in the small things, God will entrust greater things to our care. You see this principle at work in Joseph's life as he's learning to be a servant. He's, he's learning to be faithful in small things, right? That the Lord had given him. He's just gonna be faithful. He's gonna serve faithfully. I think there are a lot of Christians out there who look at the small things and they think they don't matter. Yet they matter to God. It's through the small things that the Lord teaches us to be servants. The small things are a big deal to the Lord. I think uh, that it's often where our hearts are tested the most too, right? In the small things. If we can be faithful in the small things, with the little things, with the few things that God gives us to do or God entrusts to us, then the Lord is going to use us in greater and greater things. But it first starts with the small things. That's where the testing occurs. The small things. That's our proving ground. Are we faithful with the little things? That's a question we should ask ourselves. Are we faithful with the little things? Will we be faithful with the things that the Lord gives us, even though they're not big things? I know these things have been true in my life. You know, I started out in ministry. I was asked to be an usher. And uh, I did coffee ministry after church for 15 people. You know, I had one Mr. Coffee coffee pot. It was wonderful. Then I was asked to lead a home fellowship. You know, I never led an organized Bible study before. I was scared to death. Um, I asked my best friend to do worship for me. And he never led worship before. He was scared to death. I mean, we were a great team. But as time passed... And I just faithfully served in that ministry and just gave my all. You know, I was asked to lead the men's ministry. Then I was asked to lead an outreach, then a mission trip. Then we moved to, to Europe to teach in the Bible college and to plant churches. You know, when the Lord called us to move to Europe after a lot of prayer, I gave the men's ministry to my best friend who was faithful in doing the worship for me at our home fellowship. And you know what, long story short, this is the way God worked it out, is now both of us, my friend Tim Lee, he's a pastor in, in Gilbert, Arizona. And I'm a pastor here in Truckee. Both of us are pastors here in the States, right? Um, that's amazing to me. And it's not, it has nothing to do with, you know, we're anybody special. In fact, well, I won't say Tim's a bigger knucklehead than me, but he's pretty close. But you know what? We were faithful in the little things, and we hung in there, and we just persevered through the tough times. We were faithful, and the Lord gave us more. Like Paul, this is my sentiment. Paul wrote to his young uh, protege, Timothy. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Boy, that's my heart. I'm just so thankful because God has enabled me, right, He's enabled me to be faithful, to serve, you know, not looking at wanting bigger things, you know, but just not despising the days of small beginning. And you know, there are a few things that are actually common to each of us. Doesn't matter what your life looks like. Doesn't matter what your ministry looks like. We share certain things in common. And what I'm thinking of is time spent at the Lord's feet. How do you view that? Are you faithfully spending quality time in the word and in prayer? Are you digging into the word, gleaning all that you can get from your own personal study of the word? Is reading the word, is that a priority in your life? Spending time in prayer, is that a priority in your life? You know, are you spending time worshiping the Lord each day? You know, I fear too many Christians, although they wouldn't say it like this, but I fear too many Christians see these things as little things. They don't say it that way, but they say it through the time they spend doing it, right? Throughout the course of their day. Too many Christians today, you know, I think, you know, I don't know. Too many Christians today, I think, though, they don't know the Word of God very well. They are not able to discern between good and bad doctrine. Too many Christians today only pray when they want something or they're in a pinch. Too many Christians today, I think, consider worship as listening to Christian radio. Don't get me wrong. You can worship listening to Christian radio, but you know, listening to Christian radio alone is not worship. And as a result of these views, I fear too many Christians today spend little time throughout their day at the feet of Jesus who gave his life for them, suffered and died for them. The time we spend in the presence of the Lord is a measure of how healthy our walk is with him as believers. If we'll be faithful in these small things, reading the word and becoming knowledgeable regarding God's word, seeking the Lord with a whole heart in prayer, worshiping him uh, in spirit and truth in response to the love that he's demonstrated t- towards us, God will use us for greater things, right? The small things matter to the Lord, how we act at work. Are we a good witness working hard? Are we slacking off at work? Are we trying to, you know, clock in on time? Or you know what? It's no big deal if we're seven, eight, ten minutes late, whatever. So many Christians, I believe, you know, think these are little things. So many people today—they cheat on their taxes, they don't declare all their income, and they think of it as just a little thing. You know what? Everybody does it. It's no big deal. You know the movies you're you're watching? Sure, it's rated R, but you know the storyline—it's really good. Yeah, okay, I know. You see, you see the woman's breasts there and on the TV screen? But you know it doesn't affect me, right? Do you tell yourself that? That it's just a little thing? Those things are just little? Those things matter to the Lord. The Lord cannot, the Lord will not use us in greater things if we're not faithful with the little things, the small things. God was able to use Joseph and the Lord promoted joseph to be second only to pharaoh because he was faithful in the small things god is interested in the small things and god wants us to be faithful with those little things he's entrusted to us i know i've spent a lot of time on this but maybe it's a word for you tonight you know maybe the lord is wanting you to use you in greater things you know maybe the word is for me maybe the lord wants to use me in greater things he just wants me to be faithful in the things that he's given me today. Either way, he wants us to be faithful in the things that he's entrusted to us today. Verse 5, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in in, in the house and in the field. The favor of that God had on Joseph's life, it was extended uh, to everyone that came into contact with Joseph, it seems, right? Potiphar recognized it. He just keeps giving Joseph more and more and more because God's favor was on him. Potiphar is blessed through Joseph's life, being blessed on the account of another. Does that sound oddly familiar to any of us? I mean, that's, that's our story. That's the gospel. We're blessed because um, of Jesus Christ. We're accepted by God because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Verse six, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. So this is saying as a young man, Joseph, he's good looking and he's probably pretty well built, right? Keep in mind, Joseph is somewhere between 17 and 20 years old at this time. And verse 7 says, And it came to pass after these things. And that's the way it always works, isn't it? It comes to pass after these things. But after what things? After this period of Joseph being faithful... And the small things and being raised up into the position of being overseer of Potiphar's house. This temptation that we're going to be looking at came during a period of prosperity and success. And it makes you think of David. And and this is such a warning to us. You know, it was a time of success. When David was tempted with Bathsheba, she was there bathing on the rooftop of her house. You know, it's interesting to note in both cases with success and promotion came temptation. When we're prospering and successful, there is oftentimes a temptation that comes with it to do what's evil before the Lord says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. In those days, it was fairly common for a powerful, wealthy man to be married to just a beautiful woman. So it's quite possible that Potiphar's wife, I mean, she's a knockout. We would call her today, probably uh, refer to her as a trophy wife you might be tempted to say, well, how do you know she was attractive, Gary? Well, again, I'm not very smart, but I think if she was ugly, Joseph would have said to her, just give me my coat back and get out of here. There would be no temptation if she was uh, unattractive. So Potiphar's wife is probably very attractive. And she begins to take notice of Joseph this very attractive, well-built young man. And she invites Joseph to have sex with her. And it would be a tremendous temptation for any man to face who was far away from his home. In verse eight, we read, but. But is almost always a contrasting word. And contrasts uh, to Potiphar's wife, we have Joseph. She has no morals. However, Joseph knew what was right and wrong. He had integrity. It says, but he refused. And I think that this story is so powerful for us as men. If Joseph, who is confronted by this beautiful woman, this young guy whose hormones are just raging at this point in his life, A man with a similar nature as the rest of us men, if he can say no to temptation, to sin, no matter what the temptation, no matter what the seduction is, then we can say no. We can refuse to yield to temptation. And Joseph's life is a proof of that to us. Take a quick look at Romans chapter 6, okay? Turn in your Bibles, keep your fingers here, Genesis chapter 39, but turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. If you're not familiar with the book of Romans, you need to know that Romans is the heart of the New Testament. It's in Romans that we learn that all of us are sinners, and we're only saved by God's grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that makes us righteous right? This is the message of Romans, that we've been freed from the penalty of sin because of our faith in Christ. But not only are we freed from the penalty of sin, but in Romans 6, we learn that we're freed from the power of sin in our lives. So let's take a quick look at Romans 6, verses 5 through 14. Verse 5 says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, this is something that we're to know as Christians. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That could also be translated that it was rendered powerless, right? That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Well, I've died with Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, and he's your savior, he's your master, you've died with Christ too. Galatians 2.20, I'll read it to you. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Since I've put my faith in Christ, since we've put our faith in Christ, we've been crucified with Christ, freed from the penalty of sin. Jesus took my sin while he hung there on the cross, right? That's where my sin was judged. I'll never have to answer to God for my sin. But I've also been freed from the power of sin. I no longer have to live as a slave to sin. I no longer have to obey its every demand. Romans continues, Romans 6 continues, now, if we died with Christ, (coughs) excuse me, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself or consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, in light of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. We've been set free, right? I'm not to allow sin to have dominion over me, I'm not to allow sin to reign in my body. In the Greek, when it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, it speaks of the fact that these lives that we now live, you know what? They're passing. These lives, it's it's temporal. They're just temporary, right? The Greek here is very strong. It could be translated, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body if you've been united with Christ in his death, you don't have to let sin rule over you. We can say no to sin and refuse to obey the lust of the flesh. I think that there are a lot of Christians that are not, that are not aware that they have been set free from the power of sin. And it's so sad. You know, they know that they've been set free from the penalty of sin, but they're living this defeated Christian experience because they don't know that they've been set free from the power of sin. Continuing on Romans 6, verse 13, we read, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under the grace. We've been freed from the power of sin. We don't need to let sin reign in our bodies. Sin no longer has dominion over us. And if we will stand in that victory, we'll be able to say no to sin. David said, when you're struggling with temptation, Hide God's word in your heart so you can be victorious. That's basically what He says, uh, Psalm one nineteen verse eleven. So here are a few verses that we can cling to. Here are a few verses that we should have hidden in our heart. Galatians five sixteen. Galatians five sixteen says, "I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking with God." in the Spirit is the key to keep us from sin. Walking in the Spirit, living in the power of the Spirit daily, that's where our victory is found. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We all experience the same types of temptations. And this verse tells us that God is faithful. He will always provide us with a way of escape. He wants us to be victorious over sin. You can refuse temptation. You know, the problem is, as I've looked back over my life, at the areas where I've given into sin. The problem wasn't that I didn't see a way out. You know, it was always there, but I failed to take the way out. God is faithful to give us a way out. We just have to take it. Hebrews 2.18. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he, speaking of Jesus, he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The same book of Hebrews says, Hebrews four fifteen that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is Jesus understands where each of us are weak. He sympathizes with us. He understands our frame that we're weak. He was tempted like we are. But he was without sin. Because he was tempted in all ways like we are, he's able to help those who are being tempted. We can ask Jesus for help in the midst of the temptation. Ask him for help in the times of uh, weakness. Don't live your life independent of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with sin, ask him to help you. You know, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. Giving into sin, that's a sign of weakness, right? Be strong and ask Jesus to help you. James 1.12. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It can also be translated, Blessed is the man that perseveres, that stands up under and resists temptation. There's a blessing for each of us as we are resisting temptation and the inference again it's that you can resist you can stand up to temptation and the pressure that uh it's there to give into sin you can say no to it and you'll be blessed as you do it that's what james says god blessed joseph he raised him up he raised him up a second to pharaoh he blessed him mightily God will also in a similar way bless you and I as we resist temptation, as we stand up and say no to sin when it comes our way. Verse eight, but Joseph refused and said to his master's wife, look, my bastard does not know uh, what is with me in the house and he has committed all things uh, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no no one greater in this, uh, in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Boy, I tell you what, this verse applies to a whole lot more than just sexual sin, right? We need to ask ourselves this question when we're tempted to give into sin, right? That, that momentary, Uh, temptation to turn our backs on God. And that's what sin is. I mean, let's not, let's just be honest. That's what sin is. Sin is turning your back on your Savior and breaking the heart of the one who endured the beatings, endured the mocking, endured the shame, endured the humiliation, endured being spat upon, endured uh, being scourged, endured being nailed to the cross. He endured the most painful death known to man if you don't know it, crucifixion was a method of execution that was designed to inflict the maximum amount of torture before a person would die in those moments of temptation we need to ask ourselves how can i do this great wickedness and sin against god that's a question that that we should memorize Right to hide that verse in our hearts, so we can pull it out when we're faced with temptation. There are a few things we should notice in verse nine before we move on. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Right? Joseph calls it great wickedness. Joseph calls it sin, and throughout the Bible, sex outside of marriage is called sin. It's the teaching of the Bible from cover to cover. There's no escaping it. Secondly. Sexual sin, like all sin, is primarily against God. Paul says that sex outside of marriage is to defraud the other person. It's taking advantage of them, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 6, Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. And Paul goes on to say, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Paul says, you reject this teaching. I mean, it's, it's not me that said it. You're not rejecting me. You reject his teaching. You're rejecting God. Right? Paul says, sexual sin is sin against the other party. Joseph would have sinned against God had he given into Potiphar's wife. He would have sinned against Potiphar. He would have sinned against Potiphar's wife. And not only that, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Sexual sin is against others, but it's also a sin against yourself if that's what you engage in. But Joseph sees this sin primarily as against God. And David, he said exactly the same thing when he fell sexually sinning with Bathsheba. David says, Psalm 51, three and four, for I acknowledge uh, my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Ahithophel. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather and one of David's key advisors and David sinned against himself but David saw that sin primarily as a sin against God he went against God he went against God's instructions for his life for anyone who's listening who's given into sexual sin you need to You need to acknowledge what you've done as great wickedness. You know, the culture that we live in, it doesn't see sexual sin as too terribly bad, right? Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered how we got to that point? You know, where sexual sin is just like no big deal? Well, because in our culture, our our culture, the world is telling us constantly that sexual sin, sin outside of marriage, it's, it's normal. It's natural. It's healthy. But sex outside of marriage is great wickedness, and it needs to be confessed as, as such. To confess simply means to agree with God. You need to see sex outside of marriage as God sees it. It's wrong. It's wickedness. It's sin against God. Well, how can sex outside of marriage be considered wickedness? I've been, I've been asked this many times. God invented sex. And if you just love your partner, right, how can it be bad? I tell you, if you're not aware of it, more and more our world through media primarily is being desensitized to the wickedness of sin. I mean, you see in more and more things on TV that you wouldn't have seen even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago, Slowly television programs uh, that we allow to come into our home is working to conform us into the image of the world. And it's not only working to conform us, it's working to conform our kids into the, into the image of the world. Nearly every person uh, that watches a TV program nowadays is going to see a man or a woman having sex outside of marriage. And it's usually portrayed visually, I mean, it could be considered soft porn the way you see it sometimes. More and more you see gay and lesbian couples kissing, and they're portrayed as healthy and normal couples. People say today, you know, you can't help fall in love, you know, with who you fall in love with, right? I mean, it's out of your control. And I say, hey, don't buy into that. The Bible instructs us as believers not to be conformed to this world. We're not to let the world push us and press us into their mold more and more christians today don't see sexual immorality as great wickedness due to the constant propaganda that comes from the tv and the culture around us we must we must allow the bible to shape our world view our opinions of the world Instead of allowing the world to shape our opinions about the Bible. If you've fallen into sexual sin, you need to know there's forgiveness. And if you'll confess it as what it is, right? The Lord will forgive you. The Lord will restore you. You know, if you just turn from your sin and turn to him. The Lord restored David after he fell with Bathsheba. And God restored David and David wrote Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Psalm 32, one through two. David says, it's such a blessing to be forgiven, to escape from under the weight of the shame and guilt that that sin brings into our lives. If you're practicing any kind of sin, Confess it as wickedness and sin against God and be restored. Jesus isn't interested in condemning any of us. He wants to set us free. He wants to see you live in victory, saying no to sin. Verse ten. So it was when he spoke to Joseph, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not hear her, heed her, to lie with her or to be with her. Daily, Joseph refused to give in to the temptation. He's a picture of a man who refused to give in. She said to him daily, day by day, she came to him and tempted him. You know, it's no different the way that any of us are tempted either, right? When Jesus gave his disciples the model prayer, he said, In this manner pray, therefore, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? It teaches us that prayer is to be a daily event in our life, right? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them they were to be praying daily. And again, meaningful time, praying, seeking the Lord. Lord, provide for me this day. And he continued on in that model prayer and forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors, right? That's something that we should be praying about every single day, right? We're sinning against each other daily. You know, we sin and wrong others all the time. How many times do you hear people say that the church is full of hypocrites? How many times do you hear people say that they're disenchanted with the church because someone sinned against them? You know what? We should be forgiving and asking for forgiveness on a daily basis. If we fail to do it daily, what's going to happen is we just grow bitter, you know, with time. We just grow bitter. It's going to be one or the other. We're going to ask God to forgive us and experience that forgiveness and be forgiving, or we're just going to grow bitter. And Jesus continued, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one temptation comes daily and we need to be praying daily lord protect me from temptation protect me from the ways i might be tempted and enticed to sin against you today right jesus said watch and pray lest you enter into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak we need to be watching we need to be paying attention to where temptations come into our lives We need to respond in prayer. Jesus said, we need to pray daily. Lord, protect me from sin and keep me from giving into it and help me that I might escape and not sin against you. It says, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Notice Joseph doesn't allow himself to even be with her. Some might say, well, that sounds legalistic. You know, I can't even be with her. You know, Joseph's not being legalistic, right? He's exercising wisdom. He didn't spend time in her presence because he didn't want to allow himself to be tempted by her. He was doing what we read about in the New Testament, Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We're not to put ourselves in a situation where we can fall. Joseph was exercising wisdom. Verse 11, but it happened about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. You know, this is where we get a little insight into Joseph's character. Even though there was no one else there to see, he knew God was watching. No one else may have been able to see what he could have done with Potiphar's wife, but he knew God would see. You know, that's the perspective that we need to have in all of our actions and thoughts. That's the right understanding that we're to have. God is watching. Verse 12, back up, says, and uh, none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment, verse 12, saying, Lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Sometimes people think it's weakness to run from your problems. I don't think it's weakness. Like I say, I think it's wisdom. And that's what the New Testament tells us. Again, 1 Corinthians 16 or sorry, 1 Corinthians 6:18 says, "Flee sexual immorality. Get as far away from it as you can." Proverbs 6:27 says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I mean, can you put a a torch in your jacket and not be caught on fire? You know what? You don't want to see how close you can get to sin and not be drawn into it. You're going to get burned. Get as far away from sin as you can. If you live near the edge, you're going to fall off the edge. It's only a matter of time. Paul instructs Timothy... Again, as young protege, 2 Timothy 2.22, it's one of my favorite verses. Flee also youthful lust, but you're not to just flee youthful lust. You're to do something else at the same time. You're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're to re- surround yourself with like-minded believers and pursue the things of God. You know, when I think of that word pursue, I think of a police car in a hot pursuit. He's got his sirens going, his lights going, and he's telling everybody else, get out of my way. I am after a goal. That's the way we're to be. We need to pursue the things of God. We need to be in fellowship with other believers. You need to be among the brethren, be uh, building up uh, each other in the faith. We need to develop close personal friendships with others who can speak into our lives and keep us accountable if necessary. You know, I'm aware that there are many people, not many people here, but many people listening online, that might be tempted to say, you know, this study it really doesn't apply to me. You know, I mean, I'd never fall in this area of sin. If that's you, I'd say to you, watch out. Watch out. I know guys. I know pastors. You know, I know a pastor. He's known nationally. If I told you his name, you would know him immediately. I know. I know guys that have fallen sexually. And I've and I asked this pastor that is known nationally, written books, big church, right? He had a huge church. So I asked him, I mean, what happened? You got this great ministry. You got a, a wonderful wife. You got this huge church. What happened? And you know what he told me? It stuck with me. He said, Gary, I overestimated my strength and I underestimated the strength of the devil. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's wisdom and instruction we all must receive and heed. This is what we need to allow to penetrate our heart. Be careful if you think, I would never. You know, we were talking about falling sexually a few weeks ago in the men's study, and it kind of came up, you know, um, in the conversation, uh, that if we ever thought, you know, hey, look at me, look at me. Seriously, what woman would go for this? You know what the answer was? A blind woman. You know what? Each of us need to be wise and understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we're no match for the devil, right? He's a deceiver, he's a liar. He is subtle. He was able to convince a third of the angels to turn their back on God. How powerful and clever is that? We need to understand that there is no sin. There's no sin that any one of us is incapable of committing. And then we need to run to Jesus for help. Keeping our eyes on him for strength. Staying in his presence for protection. Verse 13. And so it was when she saw that, she, that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. Here we get a glimpse of uh, this woman's character. Here what we see her doing is badmouthing her husband. What she said, when she says, see he has uh, brought into us a Hebrew to mock us, she's referring to Potiphar. Verse 15. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him uh, with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant who you brought to come uh, into me Uh, came into me to mock me. So it happened, I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. I think when it says that his anger was aroused. I think his anger was aroused at his wife. Had he been angry with Joseph, he would have had Joseph killed. Right? He needed to save face. She made this accusation public, and he was forced. He had to do something about it. So he had Joseph put into prison. And I think he knew exactly what kind of woman his wife was. You know? I I think he, he... Probably had a good idea of what actually really happened. And his anger was directed at her because he's losing this wonderful, faithful servant. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Again, we read the Lord was with Joseph. You know, in just this very, very dark and difficult time in Joseph's life, we read the Lord was with him, never leaving, never forsaking him. Write this reference down, Psalm 105. is the only commentary on the events we're looking at in the Old Testament. Psalm 105, verses 16 through 19. 105, 16 through 19 says, Moreover, he, speaking of the Lord, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provisions of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So Joseph's feet were in fetters. He was in irons. And this is a picture you need to have when when you read about Joseph being in prison. You need to keep that in your mind, right? He was lied about, falsely accused. Now his feet, they're in fetters and he's in iron. Joseph, again, he's just this young kid and he's going through this dark, dark, heavy trial. But the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. We can be confident that the Lord is with us in those very dark times we face. We can be confident He's promised over and over again that he'll never leave us. That he'll never forsake us. Jesus said, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how hard it is, Jesus is with you. He will not abandon you. He is with you even to the end of the age when he comes again to receive you to himself. And until that time, you can count on him being right there by your side, seeing you through. Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Again, we read, the Lord was with him. Remember when you were a young kid and your mom would repeat every instruction over and over and over again? And then at the end, she would ask you to repeat back to her the instructions she just gave you. Repetition is how we learn. And the Lord has repeated this that he was with Joseph at least four times in this chapter. I really think he's wanting something to sink deep into our hearts here. He wants us to be confident in the fact that he's with us in good times and in bad times. He's there working when we can't see him. When all we see is difficulty, he's there for us. We see the Lord taking Joseph through this trial, teaching him to be a servant. Before this, we saw Joseph, he's wearing this coat of authority. Now the Lord's taking Joseph through this trial. And Joseph is not suffering needlessly. He's learning things and gaining experiences. He's learning how to be a servant. He's learning how to be faithful in small things. He's learning how to... Exercise self-control by saying no to the temptations that are before him. And he's being fashioned through these sufferings. There he is. He's in this darkness, in this dungeon. He's in the fetters. He's in irons. God is not allowing Joseph to go through these hard times, these difficult things needlessly. It's through the suffering. God is preparing Joseph for what he has for him. You know what? We know the whole story of Joseph's life. You know, but I ask you, consider this. How many of us, in terms of God's calling on our life, would be willing to endure all that Joseph is going through and will go through as these chapters unfold? You know, we're saved by grace. God sent his son to to bear our sins, to take the penalty for our sins, right? The penalty that our sins deserve and that penalty is death. And he freely took our penalty. When we gave our life to Jesus, when we surrendered our life to him and he became our master, we said, Lord, use my life for your glory, however you see fit. Surrendering all to Jesus is nothing to be afraid of because he is good, loving, and caring. He's a wonderful, gracious, loving master, far more than any man would be, including all of us. The promise of him never leaving or forsaking us, it's a precious promise. The promise of him receiving us to himself at the end of our lives makes every trial and tribulation that we face in this life worth it. I would have thrown my life away so many different ways. Apart from the Lord, the devil could have taken me out any number of ways. It would have been easy to. But the Lord saved me from things that are far and away Worse, more worse than anything He will ever allow into my life. He will not do anything worse than what each of us would have done with ourselves had we not given our lives to Him. He will only do better. And for that, He deserves our everything. All that we are, all that we ever hope to be, He's Lord. I know I'm just going a little bit long. This is it. You know what? I just wanted to share this quote. I have this quote in my Bible. And actually, I don't know who who said it, um, but it's a very precious quote to me. It says, Whenever you are called to pass through an experience which is unusually trying and difficult, comfort yourself with the thought that you are being fitted for some higher purpose that has not yet been made known. But which will lay its demands on that very experience, which has been permitted for that end. And when you look back on your life, you will see how all has been ordered to fit you to fulfill that ministry to others that would have been less worthily fulfilled had you been excused from the tears, the hardships, The privations of a single day. And you know what we're to do? Is we're to be brave. We're to be strong. We're to trust in the Lord. God is faithful. And he's worthy of our praise in every situation. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's a good, good master. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so very much. The Bible says to give thanks in all things. It's it's not that we thank you for the trials in our life, Lord, we thank you in the midst of the trials because you are good, because you are there with us, because you are carrying us through, because you are leading us to, uh, preparing us for greater things to bring glory to your name, Lord. I thank you so much for just your work in our lives when we see it and when we don't see it. Lord, you're good. You're good. Father, for any brother and sister of mine out there that has fallen into sin, sexual sin, or some other type of sin, they're ashamed, they're embarrassed. But give them the courage to run to you. Give them the courage to ask you for help, to ask you for forgiveness. Give them the courage to allow you to restore them to clean them up and set them on the right path again. You don't condemn us, Lord. You're not looking at our failures, but, Lord, you're rejoicing over our growth. Thank you so much, Lord. For anybody out there that doesn't know you, Lord, pray you give them the courage to run to you, to ask for forgiveness of their sins, to receive salvation. Lord, even now, Lord, give them the courage to pray and and just From their heart, just to ask you to come in their life. Forgive them for their sins. They know they're a sinner and they're sorry for it. Meet them, Lord. Meet them with your spirit. Fill them to overflowing. Let them have a confidence that, Lord, you've accepted them and you've adopted them. You've cleansed them. Lord, I thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for, again, the technology to live stream on a snowy day. Lord, For everybody that's here, get us home safe, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. In your name, Jesus, amen.